Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Halleck. And today joining us via the wonders of the interwebs and Zoom and recording and cutting and pasting in audio programs and <laughs> uploading, etc. We are broadcasting live to you, not live, pre-recorded from uh, SFU's uh, campus station, CGSF, up at the top of uh, Burnaby Mountain. But we're actually uh, recording this from the comfort of our own homes. And we've got Stephanie Osler joining us today. Hello, Stephanie. Hi. Hey. It's nice and to have you back again. Yeah, it's nice yeah. to be back. Stephanie is a slow fashion designer and ethical entrepreneur. We had her on our show a while ago. It's been a couple of years, I think, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Flown. It doesn't actually feel Wild. like it was that long. But um, no. Yeah, and we reconnected recently because Luca and I have been keeping our eyes out for people who are doing things differently because of the difference that we've all been experiencing, right? Everything has changed. And Stephanie, I saw you posting the other day about how the current, I don't even know that I, I mean, it's a crisis, but I don't feel like characterizing it as a crisis is necessarily always helpful. Um, the change that we're going through right now with the pandemic and the difference, uh, different patterns we're all needing to choose in order to be healthy and strong individually and as a community. And you were saying that there's certain things this reminds you of in terms of challenges you faced in the past. Yeah, well, I've had my company for over 17 years and I was about 22 when uh, the 2008 economic crash hit. And at the time, I hadn't had experience of a recession. I didn't know what a recession was. Uh, when the times were good and we were making so much money, I thought it must be me. It must be all my brilliance. I'm responsible for it. So when everything tanked, I thought it must be me. I'm responsible for this. And overnight, our sales just turned off. And we never laid anybody off. They just slowly quit because they felt bad. They weren't making any sales. And you know, it was just a really bad experience. And um, I worked really hard to study what was happening. And uh, what what I discovered was that it was an opportunity. And it wasn't my fault, obviously. Um, and then just having a lot of time, I've been working constantly. I'm not, uh, I'm not out of work by any means, uh, though my work has changed and I'm not making any money, but, um, I do have a lot that, yeah, I do have a lot of time to sit and reflect on, um, you know, there are always going to be some similarities when, for businesses like mine, when, when the economy, um, takes a dip for whatever reason. And just wanting to share those with people, because I think that, um, not everybody has to have that same experience uh, being blindsided by by the, let's say, uh, great change, the upheaval. And um, I think that it's a time to remain op optimistic. And it really brings out um, the entrepreneurial spirit in everyone, whether or not you are a business owner. So we can we can think together and... Yeah, yeah. It, it can. I think for a lot yeah. of other people, it kind of brings out the paralysis and the, and the cocooning. Um, and that's also a necessary part of the ecosystem. 
<laughs> but so we don't need to make it wrong or bad, you know, no. for whatever people are responding, but absolutely it can definitely get, uh, I'm feeling my juices fired up these days. Because <laughs> yeah. It's just like, okay, I've been, I've had the thought going through my head. At what point do we, do we as a society or do I as an individual stop being in the, okay, we're just going to kind of make it through until things can get back to normal versus the, okay, wait, um, let's make a new normal and let's really dig in and embrace this and start doing some adaptations and it's okay if it doesn't go back to how it was before. I don't think it can go back to how it was before. I don't think um, history ever really repeats itself so much as it cycles. So it, it, it sort of folds back on itself, but we're, we're going to go into a new cycle. And, and I think that that's, that's something that we, we want, um, even just from a spiritual perspective, that's something that we, we want. We know there was something wrong with the paradigm we were living in before. Not to say that sitting at home in a quarantine, not seeing our loved ones is what we want the change to be, but right. it's created a major opportunity for us to sit and reflect on what we do want. And I personally yeah. discovered how much what I really want to do is be at home growing food and making things like I knew that all along but right what a reinforcement that is yeah it kind of takes a whole bunch of other stuff off the desk and lets you be like okay what do I really want to do right now because there is the room to choose and what's not working what relationships aren't working um and more than anything uh, what about yourself is not working I, right. I went through um an existential crisis that you guys uh were aware of last time we met uh, years ago, which I, I sort of, I keep on being reminded of. I think a lot of people now are facing what I experienced because I had a traumatic hand injury and I couldn't, I couldn't work my normal. There was so much I could do. I could read all the books that I bought. I hadn't cracked. I could work on my taxes that I hadn't gotten done, but, but it wasn't what usually generated my self-worth. Right. And, and that, um, just hitting a brick wall at a thousand miles an hour and not being able to do what gave me self-worth anymore. Um, it, it, it threw my life off course for a few years, but I'm so honestly thankful for that experience because I think that's what's allowing me to, um, to some degree enjoy what we're experiencing now. Otherwise I would have been having that experience right now as I've hit a wall. Right. It's very true. You hit the wall and you, and you, and you survived it. Oh yeah, and I can say that uh, uh, that of all of us, we've all been in our lives. We've had the time of hitting the wall and surviving it, yeah. so we know we can survive it. Um, and we were talking about this last time, Rebecca and I, that that we feel like other people are kind of joining us in the normal that we had before because we we were sort of front running on this. Um, and I think it's really important to, as a culture changes. And as an economy changes, that there were people who ran in the front, who've tested out a few things, and mm -hmm. who know that it's possible, and we're not going to die when we fall off the edge of the <laughs> earth, right? So that yeah, so that absolutely. this so that when when there's an opportunity that comes in the form of a crisis, maybe to to um, force the the whole of the economy and culture to to make a move together. There are people who have done it to one extent or another mm -hmm. that we can we can look at and say, oh, oh yeah, that's possible. Yeah, you're, you're definitely in there too, Stephanie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. For sure. in, in terms well, of yeah. having had to reinvent, uh, there's there's something around having been through 
um, those squeezy places where you were, you were, Stephanie, you were referring to like your self identity, your self worth, right. As being connected to these kinds of actions, these kinds of results. And when those get pulled out from underneath you for whatever reason, um, it's really, it can feel quite shattering. It's very disorienting. You know, I honestly, um, at points I, I literally felt like it was even visual, like, like there was a veil being lifted and I could see that there was a physically different reality than what I had experienced. So it can be even very, um, physical and and not just hypothetical, but, um, it, it's amazing what an impact having your paradigm just, I guess, drop away can have on a person. And you don't even know, I, I usually refer to it as if we're all living in a fishbowl. And every fish tank has its own pH balance and uh, turbidity in the water and, uh, you know, maybe crud or whatever. But to that fish, it's normal. That fish is doing fine. It's well adjusted to that environment. But if you dropped another fish in, whether that bowl was cleaner or dirtier, that other fish might die of shock. And so it was sort of what I felt was happening to me was I had this moment where I was lifted out of my fishbowl and I went, oh, my God, what is this? And and I think that a lot of people are having that right now, just right. reflecting on my own experience where just all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, the water turned off the, you know, it, it, and it's just like, Oh my God, what, what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, and as far as, you know, the, the planet's concerned, it, nothing is really all that changed. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. Like, even as we talk about this being a crisis, what is this honestly a crisis of? Like, there, it's a there crisis is a, of who we are. <laughs> well, that's the question because there is a there's a health crisis going on for people getting sick. But um, if you look at the numbers, it's not it's not the majority of people, um, and uh, except in some areas. Uh, and then it's also an economic crisis. But what is that other than an artificially generated uh, human construct? So, right. so actually, like. To have our whole paradigm, our whole self-worth, um, our, our self-concept wrapped up in, in honestly, it's really the economy, unless you are in one of these regions where the health has been largely impacted. That's really what the, the, that's, that's the core of the crisis, is what do we do for work? How do we value ourselves? How do we... How do we relate to each other? Mm-hmm. But the world just is going on. So it's- well, and you could you could argue that the the nature and animals are doing better since this happened no to kidding. us because we're not messing with them as badly as we were. So I would recommend for everybody who's having uh, that sort of crisis, the first step is asking what is the crisis actually about. It, it's not really. You know, I know, I know, I understand for a lot of people, it can be part of our psychological well-being to be able to go out, to socialize, to do these things. But even just the, the need for that on an ongoing basis, what are you trying to avoid? Like, what are we filling with, with our work? What, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, yeah. When you felt like the whole world dropped out from under you, what got you through? What um, was it that you found or hung on to or um it was, did it for you it was a really really bad year and and not much um helped me hold on my partner really did he was very accepting although we had a lot of problems um he even though I was falling apart he sort of he didn't walk away even when I pushed him away so that that was significantly valuable and I can't deny that um but the things I would recommend for people um 
I discovered the morning pages in the artist's way. I still haven't completed that book, but um, just within the first few chapters, that, that changed a lot. So the morning pages is uh, the first thing in the morning when you get up, write just um, the stream of consciousness, fill out three full pages of text. It can be any style, journal style, point form, doesn't matter, just stream of consciousness, don't stop yourself. And the other one was meditation. And um, from the meditation, having a practice of just feeling what feelings I'm experiencing in my body and just being there with those feelings and then beginning to ask myself um, what, where the root of those feelings come from, what the first time I felt those feelings. And that's, that's, a, that's a big practice that you, we'd have to talk about for hours, but just meditation and, and journaling. And what I'm noticing is kind of similar between those two things well, first of all, you're you're introducing a new pattern, a new yeah. habit, a new grounding, especially if it's coming in the morning um, for at least one of them, right? Which is like oh, new yeah. points when your whole um, routine, which is what encompasses all, so much of our identity, has been taken away. So starting a new one that helps to ground you. But then there's also both the stream of consciousness and in the meditation practice, both of those are they're, they're, they're activities that are designed to increase self-acceptance and allowance, just observing what is, rather than actively trying to shift or, or change it. Or orchestrate. Absolutely. I have, a, I have one. I had so many amazing meditation experiences, but I have one that I recount to people a lot. Um, that I was, I was in my store on Main Street, and we had a sewing studio in the back, and I was sitting at the sewing machine sewing, and um, I, I thought to myself, I'm having a great day. And immediately this, this voice bubbled up inside of me that said, you can't tell anybody that. And, and I think that, that being able to hear that voice was an indication of how far um, I had come in my, my growth. Because we have these kind of voices pop up, but we don't hear them because they're so common. It, uh, it, the previous me would have just kept on sewing and, and not said anything and complained or whatever. But um, instead I went, Oh my God. And I just stopped what I was doing. And I just started meditating it was a slow day. Nobody was coming in. And I just really meditated on the voice. and I just let it talk. And I said, well, you can't tell anybody that because then they'll think you're done with your work. And if you're done with your work, then that means you better have money or something to show for it, or they'll want something from you. And this voice went on and on and on through this meditation I had for, I don't know, an hour. I felt like an hour. And um, I just let it keep on coming up and talking and just looking at it from different angles. And at the end of it, I realized that I have a core belief that if I'm not stressed, I'm not lovable. So I... Oh my gosh. Right? That's a biggie. Well, and and it's so not surprising where it came from. My parents were very stressed when I was growing up. My dad was working overseas. My mom um, was uh, having her own problems and trying to take care of two kids during the mid-90s when the economy tanked. And um, they only gave me attention when I exhibited stress because afford to give me attention otherwise. So that was the positive reinforcement on that. But what it, what it, what it manifested in me as an adult is that now I have this company uh, that will never go to business because if it goes out of business, I have nothing to stress about, Uh, but it will never make a lot of money because if it makes a lot of money, then I don't have anything to stress about. No. What I realized is a lot of the time when I'm making decisions like about what color fabric to choose or what design to do or what to buy or, you know, how to allocate my money, who to hire, I'm often making maybe the second best decision 
because I need to make the decision that keeps me stressed. Wow. That's so huge, that's right? Insight. That's like you just, you, you, ha- you found like an old skeleton key to like this door that you've always looked exactly. at. And, oh my gosh. Wow. So that I, I use that story to express on one hand, when you look at people that you may consider successful, because I don't consider myself successful, but a lot of other people looking in do, um, a lot of successful people are there because of trauma that has created a circumstance that reinforces their trauma, whether it's good or bad. I'm happy. I love my company. It's great, but it is what it is. Um, and on the other hand, um, a lot of the things that we do do having those opportunities to allow those, those experiences to come up so that you can get to the essence of what you do love about it and then get rid of, for example, for me, the stress. So I love my company, but, but I don't love the stress. I only exhibited the stress because I thought that's what made me lovable. Ironically, I'm much more lovable without it. <laughs> but just try hanging out with me. If you spend any time with me, the first thing I'll tell you is how much I'm working. It's just, it's a right. compulsive in me. I need you to know how much yeah. I'm working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's, it's a message that's, yeah. that, yes, you picked up from your family, but it was super compounded by society too. Yeah. By the oh, narratives sure. of what yeah. productivity looks like and the whole hustle, 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 hustle mentality for yeah. if you're going to be self-employed or making your own way, whatever that looks and like. And isn't it so interesting that we can't do that right now? Yes. Um, well, and, and that's, that's exactly why I think if I hadn't gone through what I went through right now, I'd be a disaster. <laughs> yeah. And I, well, this is great. I'm having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> We're also translating it now into, I found this poem online the other day. It was about how we don't have to be, have to be using this time to plumb the depths of ourselves or to, yeah. to establish our yoga regime or reinvent our company or learn something online. Because right? that's the, that's the, the, that's the that's a continuation of exactly the yeah. same thing, except now we're doing it at home and getting all, in a, and, and then that's not to say that any of those things are bad nope. for, for many of us. That's a very enjoyable way to go in these times. But if we feel we don't have any choice and we have to do that, otherwise we're not lovable. And I'm air quotes here, lovable. Successful. Yeah. Beautiful. And I recommend that do the meditation first. Like don't make meditation the next chore, but yes, but do yeah. that inner work first. Because then when you do decide to take a course or, or whatever course of action you choose, what, what kind of work it is, it comes from a genuine place of, of self-love and curiosity rather than just this, this constantly scrambling, uh, exhausted. And when you go back to work, when this quarantine is lifted, things will be better. I think work is going to look so yeah. different. I want work to yeah. look different. So Stephanie, I'm really curious about... Um, that specific insight that you got mm-hmm. about yourself, you just explained, you know, how, how much that unlocked for you, but oh, yeah. you were meditating, you were writing these pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, where were you when you stumbled across that? Like, I'm curious about the actual discovery moment. Like okay. what helped you uh, that, oh, I've got this thing. I've got this thing around stress. Look, oh. there it is. It's tied to my childhood. I can see it. Like how, how, where were you mucking about when you found that? Well, I just I've been obsessed with self um, self help, I guess, for for years. I, I've had depression since I was so young, and um, just always wanting to improve myself. I obviously also a self worth issue, wanting to be better, better, better. Um, and uh, 
I'd already been on that path, but I, I, it's funny how you can, you can self-help yourself to death on top. It's kind of like I say, do the work first, do the meditation first, and then do the course. Because I was also coming from this, like, trying to improve myself, trying to drive myself more, trying to, trying to, you know, do all the right things, trying to force myself to be positive. But I wasn't really doing the inner work, though I was very aware of childhood trauma. I discovered Gabor Mate's work, uh, a bunch of other people. I'm really into Joe Dispenza. There's some really interesting um, names out there doing work on childhood trauma. And I was chasing everybody around, even before any of this happened, telling everyone they've got childhood trauma. Um, and... And most people you've just, got trauma, and you've got yeah, trauma, yeah. and you got trauma. <laughs> and nobody, some people actually were quite engaging with me. Um, it was more like a, like seeing a car crash you can't look away from. They sort of like, they didn't want to, but they were like, oh, but what do you mean? Tell me more. Um, and I, and I, I have friends who are very into it with me, and my partner's gotten really into it as well. But um, some people just can't can't they're not ready and it's not my job i'm not a trained therapist so. <laughs> maybe one day so, i will be so we've got a couple of songs from you that you gave for your um show and tell for today part of your show and tell so we've got uh, one by metronomy and we've got one by ben sinister which one would you like to listen to first i'm gonna say ben sinister uh i'm a big fan they're a local band they do they've awesome music they do Uh, i like their stuff too yeah i've known them for a long time oh very cool all right and do you want to tell us why you picked the song before we listen to it or after well i i picked actually the songs really quickly spur of the moment just sort of feeling feeling the vibe so we'll just play them and hope everybody just play them and hope okay sounds good (laughs) hey hey when sound waves reach the ear of another person They make the drum in his ear move back and forth, and he hears the sound the other person is making. I see. But how do you hear over the telephone? We're coming to that.
Welcome back. You're listening to 90.1 FM CJSF. Um, we are broadcasting to you from Burnaby Mountain, and I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that we are broadcasting from the unceded ancestral territory of the Squamish, the Musqueam, the Tsleil-Waututh, and the Coquitlam. And um, it is interesting times we are in right now, and I definitely am going a little deeper into the um, meditating on what it means to be a settler on grounds of people who've already faced their own pandemic that we brought upon them and uh, the lessons that there are in that and maybe what the wisdom is. Um, we are meeting with Stephanie Osler today, who is of Devil May Wear, and um, she is a slow fashion designer, a little slower these days, perhaps. <laughs> Very slow. <laughs> and an ethical entrepreneur. And we're talking about, oh, we just took a listen to Ben Sinister and the song Shannon, which was uh, Stephanie's first song request today. That sounded like a really long tongue twister. I am surprised I got through that. <laughs> I could like feel myself needing to untangle the tongue between every word there. That was really interesting. Um <sighs> We had a little uh, disco, silent disco dance party as that was going on since we're all in our own home locations and so we're playing one on YouTube and it doesn't come through to everybody else. That was kind of fun though. Um, I really enjoyed that song. That was awesome. Stephanie, before we took our break, we were talking about um, what you did during your last time of challenge. Mm-hmm. Stay grounded to evolve, to rediscover yourself, reposition yourself internally um but i'm curious to know what lessons you learned as a business person about how to pivot how to strategize how to find yeah um i think the first lesson is that every crisis is an opportunity as coined by homer on the simpsons it's a crisis tunity um And I think that <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> good. I think that it's um, it's easy for almost anybody to run a business when things are going well. I mean, business is complicated. It's to say it's easy is a, a broad stroke, but um, you know, it's easier easy, easy to to be in a relationship when the relationship's going well. It's easy to have a house when it you know everything the roof's not leaking, but but it's when these when things get tough that it really pushes us to change and to grow and to perfect to hone our craft. Whatever we do, um, it it helps us develop our relationships and fix weaknesses or move into better relationships. And the same thing can be said for business. Um, it's it's easy when customers have a lot of money to spend, but it's times like these that will really reveal what you're doing is working and what's not working and and how you need to change. Yeah. And big spotlight. And yes. also, I mean, there's a chasm that kind of opens up too in terms of, uh, well, what did work is impossible to work with the current, I'm just going to call it resources or avenues that are now available. You know, what used to be a storefront where you'd have foot traffic and you'd be catching the people who are walking by. And so you're working on attracting them with physical displays or, um, ambiance or music or something like that. Like the, it's not the same thing. You're not catching a physical person anymore. <laughs> no, it, it's so weird because those physical people still exist. So we're, yeah. we're sort of mm-hmm. a, the eye of the storm right now. And largely what I'm thinking about is what happens on the other side of this, because um, 
people are being very careful with it, like much, much more careful with their money right now, perhaps than they will be once things start opening up again. Right. Um, but before this, let's just keep on calling it a crisis because that that's the wording that makes sense. Um, we were already facing a perfect storm in brick and mortar. Um, the property taxes around here are getting extremely high. The rents are very high. The wages are going up, which I believe they should be, but it doesn't change the fact that that's extremely hard for businesses to deal with. And the foot traffic and the money people are spending is going down on the other hand. Now you can, you can access uh, local independent designers from around the world and get them shipped to your door for free. Whereas even ordering something from me, you're paying that property tax goes into the product. Uh, the, the wages go into the product, the value of the product mm -hmm. itself. And then we have to charge you shipping. So to ship a pair of underwear to Victoria from Vancouver cost me $12. Oh gosh. If you can get things shipped for free from the States, that's, that's, um, that's a, a big challenge on a business like mine sure. to attract business here. So uh, I've been thinking a lot about how businesses need to pivot. And I've been teaching a course at SFU, <laughs> where you guys are broadcasting yeah. from. Uh, yeah. That's a, a business and design course based on textile sustainability with a friend of mine, Emily Smith, who is brilliant. Uh, and, and we've been working with students on prototyping and developing ethical companies and asking these questions around the wicked problem of, fashion sustainability. So uh, it's been really rewarding to work with them and look at the world through their eyes because I've been running my business for over 17 years and they're just starting to think about theirs. But uh, I've been saying for years, even before this happened, that I believe that brick and mortar will start moving off the main street uh, the way that it, it used to be prior to the development of uh, big box stores and department stores and it will be more of a by appointment only kind of scenario and if you don't buy things during those appointments eventually you won't be welcomed back or you won't get good hours and they still see it heading in that way and i i still see value on having a brick and mortar location we all understand the difference between developing a relationship with a person you can you can talk to and and um, it, it's so important to be able to read mannerisms and, and all those just micro expressions that we, we get one-on-one, -on -one, which we're missing right now. So we know how valuable they are because we're missing them all over the place. Um, but uh, I don't think that it is going to be in the same style as it has been. I think that in order to utilize locations better, we're going to have to look at brick and mortar locations as experiences. And uh, there'll be places that have the office incorporated in them. They may not have the big storefront window with the big, big racks. It might be more of a storage for shipping. We still need to have staff who are shipping, receiving products. So I see, I see a lot of place for a lot of the things we're doing today, but everything's about to change. Mm -hmm. And it was already going to change before this happened, but we're going to see it further. Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a, a sense of this has... Um, tighten the time frame by which we yes. are going to encounter things that were inevitable. And there's a part of me that feels appreciative of that. Like if we're going to do it, can we just do it now? Rip the band-aid <laughs> off. We, we really need to, because it's life, uh, human life as it's being lived on this planet is not sustainable. We yep. have to make the shift. We are aware of it to varying degrees, all the way down to the ostrich with the head in the sand up to the one who's the eagle overlooking it all and shouting what's coming. Um, 
most of us are not in the head of the sands, I think, anymore. So, yeah, it's like this has accelerated it. And I think what, something else that's interesting is um, this is kind of forcing it through uh, at a time when um, there's a generation or two that maybe would not have been around if it wasn't being forced through as early, that still have power of money and voice to participate in the change. And I'm hoping they will participate in the change rather than it just being left down the road for the younger generations. No kidding. Pick up all, all of the change. No kidding. And, and to have the business I have and love it, of course, there's a part of me that longs for previous times, but but we can't go back there and, and it's not benefiting everybody. And I find it very interesting how many people are put out of work when we only have people working who are deemed essential. And it really makes you question how much we do have to work. And, and I think that when you make good quality underwear, it lasts long, but at some point somebody still needs a new pair of underwear. So not to say that I'm entirely uh, irrelevant but um, but we're really restructuring our values this time, mm-hmm. and we'll see if it stays. And, you know, I, I've been saying this for a few years. I do talks all the time about sustainability, fashion sustainability specifically, and people ask me what the solution is. And ironically, I say the solution is get to know what you want because I think that we don't deep down know who we are. We don't know what we want, and that leaves us vulnerable to sales pitches or um, – yeah. or poor decisions or just trying to fill the void with shopping or um, changing our look or you know, trying to make people like us or even just buying something on an impulse because it seems cheap and that makes us feel smart at the time. So ironically, this whole quarantine is giving us that opportunity to find out who we are and what we really want and need in our life. Mm-hmm. There's a, the idea of alternative economic systems I've been saying for a long time is about it's not about replacing one form of currency with another. It's about replacing the system by which we make transactions. And I'm interested in the fact that you sew in the back of your store (laughs) because it means that you're listening to your customers because they're out there commenting on the things that are on the racks Mm -hmm. and they're talking to you, to your salesperson, to whoever's around um, but they're also, they have the opportunity to see how what they're buying goes together and who's making it. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that happened, um, especially after the Second World War, is that we became divorced from the people who made what we purchased. Mm-hmm. So if it's made on the other side of the world, if it's made um, in a factory somewhere, and we interact with somebody who has nothing to do with how that item is made, or or the the brainstorm that went into it, or the uh, changing the buttons on it because they're not working the way the customer likes them to work, or so so I think one of the things that's happening is that as we go through this process, we have the opportunity to bring back intimacy, oh. which is relationship, right? Yes, and you're so right about how out of sight, out of mind this whole industry is. And it's absolutely shocking to me. And this, this, this pertains to food and electronics and so many other things, which is why it's such a present-based problem. But um, 
we always talk about what we would have done, you know, considering slavery in, in America and how we would never have had slaves. But you're just as complicit when you're buying things that are made yeah. in, in, in factories overseas for next to no money. And then a lot of people complain to me that they don't have a lot of money and, and they need to be able to access these garments. So, so it's um, an ethical dilemma for them that they should be able to buy it. And, and I honestly don't agree. I, I think the world is overrun with clothing. And I say this all the time. I've never met a customer in my whole experience running a business who needs a new pair of pants. And I love having this argument. Nobody <laughs> needs a new pair of pants. I understand at one point in your life, you will eventually wear out all your pants. But there are so many pants in, in the planet, in your city, in your surroundings. <laughs> if you let all your pants wear out and you just post on Facebook, my pants wore out, somebody will give you a pair of pants. So it's not an issue of needing a new pair of pants. It's that you want that pair because that <laughs> look valuable. It will make you attractive. It's, it's in style right now. What is the reason? If you won't just wear any old pair of pants somebody gives you that for all intents and purposes fits and is clean, there's something other than pants you're trying to fill. And I say this as a clothing designer that has a life based on selling you pants. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Thank you for saying that. I love it. It's, it's so, so true. true. Yeah. I, it sounds horrible when I say it, but saying that poor people need to be able to buy clothing and therefore places like H&M should exist. I just don't agree. I just completely don't agree. Walk into a thrift store. Yeah. They're overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so, that's actually yes. yeah. why I shop thrift for yeah. 95% of anything that I buy. Yeah. Me is, too. It's just, I don't want to be engaged in the consumer cycle because it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So it's been really wearing on me because I consider myself to be an ethical entrepreneur and I try to teach ethical entrepreneurship. And um, after... After so many years of running this business, at one point we had three stores and now we're down to one and I've been scaling back the business as much as possible because I walk into thrift stores and I see how much volume is out there that, that has so little wear in it and I, I, I have a lot of trouble adding to that pile. On the other hand, I also noticed that most of that clothing is horrendously cheap to begin with and probably yeah. won't last very long from wear one maybe into wear 10 and and that is also an ethical issue so in that sense i can't bring myself to close down altogether because right. if we don't make exactly. good products available we don't make products that people can be intimate with available if we don't show where these things come from we're going to lose that connection and thus h&m wins not to harp on h&m like i do so often well yeah but i also think that you, the conversations that you have with people where you talk to them about pants yeah, Those well, and it conversations are intimacy, right? Yeah. That's that's the connection, and and that's how we're going to educate the world. Yeah. And I think it's people, by those one-on-one -on -one conversations. Totally, and I think people need to hear it directly from the person who's selling you the pants. Yes, uh, and and I teach my staff to ask people, "Do you need this? Do you need this? Are you going to wear it? Are you going to buy a bunch of other things to wear it?" We encourage our 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 customers to buy things that make their wardrobe look new again, rather than things mm -hmm. that they need to buy more pieces for. And all of these, 
these decisions I've made around my business have made it horrendously difficult for me to make money. And I, I have to, <laughs> I have to, it's very hard, but it's the truth. And, yeah. but, but anything that's valuable and worthwhile in life takes sacrifice. So this yeah. is my sacrifice. And so it, it mm-hmm. means I go on less trips a year. It means I, I cook more meals at home. Like, but what, what am I honestly sacrificing? It's, it's silly. If there's not a beautiful planet for me to enjoy in my future, that's what's so all the money in the world going to do for me? But okay. so, we need to be um, we need to be educating people. We need to take the responsibility. Arcteryx does this, or not Arcteryx? It's Patagonia also discourages oh. its customers from buying stuff, um, <laughs> and and it, it's led me to have to take on a lot of other jobs to supplement my income. Uh, but those jobs have also taught me a lot more about myself. So I can't say that's really a negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm hearing you, and it's. I feel like we may be entering into a place where your willingness to pursue what is right for the whole will begin to pay you back as an individual. Somehow. Yes, I, I think so. And that comes back to how I think shopping trends are going to change. One thing that is coming out of this is a sense of community. Um, I think that that will conflict with the sense of, um, let's say, strict money management. People are going to be very cautious with their money, but also being very aware of in how they interact in their community and how we are a global community and um, connecting with our customers because people are going to be doing a lot more shopping online. And mm-hmm. so we're going to have to replace to some degree, which I actually don't really, I'm a big believer in brick and mortar. I do not want to be an online retailer, but this is just the way it's going to go. You need to be able to connect to your customers with authentic stories. And people aren't stupid. They're going to see through a lot of things. And how are you going to develop trust? Because when somebody puts their money on the line, when they when they type in their PayPal password or they're putting in their credit card, they need to know that they can trust you. And yeah. so we're going to have to work on developing that rapport. And, and it's going to be hard for a company to just sell you, sell you, sell you on one hand uh, and then tell you a bunch of garbage on the other. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking too, it's been this wonderful exercise and experiment over the last number of decades as we've become so global and things that are on the far side of the world are accessible to us, both price wise and shipping wise, not in a sustainable way. The costs are there. They're very high in their hidden costs. Exactly. In other places. But we've all been dabbling in this because it's so fun to be able to access stuff from this other part of the world that is so different from what we have here. But it's that disconnect as Luca and you were describing earlier. And knowing that the shops that we have here, which we absolutely do also like to browse through and we're walking around and we like to go to with our friends and we like to see what's being created. We feel very proud of our local designers to see and to hear from so many of them that are already saying they're shutting permanently. It hits you in the gut and it really brings things home. And I'm starting to wonder if we're going to see a, a, not a backlash, but a circling around. You were saying before about cycles. This will be the first time that we've done a cycle like this. There's been a push over the last number of years to eat local and to buy local. It's not like it's a new concept, but this may kick it into a new zone where, I mean, 
shipping, of course, can be a problem. Maybe we can't go into the stores and do the shopping, but to be able to know that we're buying something local and we could pop by. And if you have like a place where you could pick your packages up, which is something that could be done, that still makes you feel more connected and know that you're supporting somebody who's here alongside you locally. Right. I could see this being a thing. <laughs> well, the cool thing about the internet is it's, it sort of levels the playing field in a lot of ways. In some yeah. ways, it allows for companies like Amazon to be bigger than any conglomerate of, you know, it just, it just allows for these, these mega monopolies to exist that could never exist before. But it's our choice to support them. And I, it really bothers me when people don't see the direct connection between their decisions and, and the size of Jeff Bezos' bank account. But um, right. <laughs> on the other hand, it, it, it really levels the playing field that you can't tell if, if one of my students who's making her first prototype of a product is the same size as my company or the same, with my company's the same size as you know, the next big up company. And, and so it's leveling the playing field that I think what we're going to get is a lot more textile artists if we just stick yeah. with clothing designers. Yeah. So they say that 80% mm -hmm. of clothing designers are going to go out of business right now. And I really believe that. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that is because of the way that our industry is structured, where you have to pay for everything in advance. Things are designed right. very far in advance. This is a very high cost, low margin industry. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. a lot of us are sitting on orders that we made months ago because it you can't, you can't predict what's going right. to happen or how much volume yeah. you need. Um, so even the, the fabric suppliers, a lot of them, I believe, are going to go out of business as they put in orders with factories that they won't be able to pay for. The factories will then shut down. What we saw in 2008 was this actually happened where a lot of the fabric suppliers filed for bankruptcy and designers had paid up front for their fabric and they never received their fabric and they didn't get their money back. Um, and then it also constrained the supply chain so that we had less supply options. Right. Um, so, so we're going to see that on new materials, but we have new trends around um, using dead stock, which is fabric that was purchased by a designer and then became useless. Uh, so now it's going to be resold. We'll have um, upcycling. I, I don't believe in upcycling as a real viable business, but it could be a side hustle for someone. Right. Uh, it's not scalable to a size that you can or you can hire right. staff. It's more just miscellaneous. Mm -hmm. it, it's mm -hmm. good for really <laughs> talk mm -hmm. about talk about um, artis artisanal. It's artisanal. <laughs> it's artisanal. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. that still has has a has a market, a real genuine value, and especially when a lot of the designers close down, there's going to be a market for that. And and now that you can compete because you know I have an Amazon account. I don't think, or sorry, Amazon. Oh, I have an Instagram account. Right. You know, Gap has an Instagram account. Right. Uh, so and so, <laughs> yeah. who yeah. just learning how to sew has an Instagram account. Right. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah. getting really unique, interesting things. We're going to be going down the rabbit hole there, but we are going to lose a lot of the the classically trained clothing designers, the people who do tech packs and and local manufacturing. Right. Uh, but on the and other and hand, the question is, where will they go? Right? Oh, that's always they the question. Squeezed out of one area, they're going to yeah. they're going to end up somewhere else. Well, right? I'll tell you where they're going to go in Vancouver because it's happened to me already. Is they're going to go into film? Film is going to explode <laughs> here. Film is going to boom in Vancouver if it can figure out how to get back on track. We've got four right. main right. film hubs in North America. We've got L.A., New York, mm -hmm. Toronto, Vancouver. Uh, Toronto is kind of a disaster as far as Canada goes uh, with COVID. Uh, and I, I'm sorry, I say, I'm, I'm speaking very um, late, 
cold about <laughs> cut and dried sort of. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. don't mean to, but I just really mm-hmm. want to get to the meat mm-hmm. of the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, New York's not coming back anytime soon. L- LA might mm-hmm. be coming mm-hmm. back sometime soon, but uh, our dollar is likely to tank. And uh, when that happens, we're going to look much more strategically viable than any yeah. of the other three cities. Yeah. So Vancouver yeah. film will boom. A lot of the people who've been trained in textiles will go into fashion, which mm-hmm. creates a, a very interesting um, sort of dilemma for mm-hmm. Vancouver film that uh, when I work on a big set, I work as a buyer. Uh, when I work mm-hmm. on indie things, I work as the designer of the whole department, but, but I'm a buyer, which I find very interesting. I do it part time. And, um, we're going to run out of places to go. The stores are going to be shut down. I, I don't really know how it's going to function. So yeah. Interesting. So and it, then it's going to be reliant on relationships, right? It'll be who do you know who's got something sitting in their garage. <laughs> well, that's just it. So, so if I can give some advice to the upcoming designers, um, it's you need to be in an in-stock position, which means having stock now. Obviously, you don't want a lot of stock because you don't know what's going to sell tomorrow. But carefully curated. Um, carefully curated. Movies by multiples. So they'll buy four of the same size. So that gives you kind of a perspective on how many you need. If you've got a size run of three small, which is a small, medium, large size run, then maybe you want to make 12 or something. Uh, and mm-hmm. and be making catalogs and just get your stuff on Instagram. Get everything on Instagram. But you can't tell a film production that this is your design and you'll make it for them. That doesn't work. They have their right. own sewers. If they want to make something, they'll make something. If you want right. to sell something to a movie... You need it ready now. Yeah. Um, so that's just so a little interesting. Tip on Thank a side hustle. <laughs> I feel like it's time for us to play your second song. The name <laughs> of it, it just says that it needs to come in here. So we've got uh, Metronomy's The Look. Do you want to tell us about this song before we play it? Well, it was also, it kind of has just sort of like a happy upbeat. And I was sitting <laughs> with my partner thinking about what, what would make people maybe feel a little happy. But yeah, it does have a little bit of a... <laughs> plays on the LA story. <laughs> nice. All right, let's go take a listen to Metronomy's Look and we'll be right back with Stephanie Osler in just a few minutes.
That was cute. I like that one. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Keep people awake. It's, yeah, and it's about design. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was actually good timing. Yeah, yeah it's excellent. Okay. So that was Metronomy, and the song was The Look. Thank you for that recommendation, Stephanie. That was really fun. And if anybody's listening, you want to go check out that video. There's some really, really cute seagulls doing all kinds of silly antics on it. It was fun. There was a lot of bopping. Um, so, Stephanie, we're getting short on time now. What, what do you think it's going to look like for you? As you go forward, I'm I'm remaining optimistic. I'm also remaining open-minded. We've got a store on Granville Island right now. We're, like I said, we're down to one store. Um, I'm hoping we can keep the one store. Uh, I think that uh, I, I'll, I'm working in film part time, so it's just you know in and out of film. It's really fun. Just jump in and it, it keeps you alive. I love it. So I'll, I'll keep doing that, and I'll, I'll have endless work there. And I'm hoping that maybe we'll see if we can aid the film. Uh, buyers as well selling selling stuff but I'm also teaching a course at SFU like I said so we'll keep that going I've got plenty to keep me busy so it will almost be status quo for me uh, right. but what I'm looking to do is help everybody else make big right. changes so yeah. who would you love to hear from if there's somebody that might be interested in reaching out how could they get in touch with you who would you love to hear from I would love to hear from everyone. I hear a lot from aspiring designers. Uh, I hear a lot from aspiring entrepreneurs, and I love hearing those conversations. But I'm also interested in hearing from people who don't see themselves as entrepreneurs because I, I, I would like to talk about how um, how everybody has a little entrepreneur in them and how you can discover that person. <laughs> the baby entrepreneur. It's yeah. like an entrepreneurial corner of themselves. It's great. Yeah, I love it. It, it just... It, gives you courage it teaches you to be a leader it's wonderful so that yeah. would be great um i am very proud of my instagram i've been working very hard on my instagram i'm not much of an online person so i'll promote my instagram and it's just devil may wear so that's our Yay. tag devil may wear and we are on facebook though i don't do much with facebook but it's devil may wear store uh you can email me at devil may wear at gmail you can go to the website devil Anywhere you can look up Devil May Wear, you'll find me. I've had the name so long. We got, we got everything. You got everything. Yeah. And then you can get in touch with me directly. I've also got a website, just Stephanie Osler. It's my first and last name.com. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stephanie. This was really fun. It was such a pleasure. You. Uh, thank you, guys. You're always so wonderful. You've got such a great spirit. Well, so well it, and and so do you. So it's a good Aww. match today. Definitely go. a good match. Thank All you. of the good vibes. And Thank the good you again. Too. And so, until next week. I wonder what's around the corner. Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halleck's Power Sorcerer. And Rebecca Mears, Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahalleck.com. I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca. Happy, 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 boing, 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 bo